What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, March 21st, 2021, and this week's episode, Brunson Barrels Forward. We'll be recapping the UFC Vegas 22 main event between Derek Brunson and Kevin Holland, and we'll be going right into a packed week of MMA news. The lightweight title fight announced between Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler. Dana White bringing a stacked UFC 261 in front of a full capacity crowd in Florida. The rematch between Jorge Masvidal and Kamaru Usman. And the change-ups. Paulo Costa is out. Kelvin Gastelum is in. As well as the big Bantamweight fights announced for May. And we'll cap it off with the big one. The heavyweight championship this coming Saturday at UFC 260 between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez and I'm here with my co-host Natalie Zamudio. Hello Double G. Sounds like we don't have too much going on in the world of MMA. Is that... Did I get that right? <laughs> oh yeah, we got a slow week. Slow week. It's like yeah. <laughs> poor poor Brett Okamoto had nothing to do this week. Nothing it's so to sad. Do. <laughs> um, Natalie, we got a long show. I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I think let's get right into it. Yes, um, sir. Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. Um, this fight very fun for the Kevin Holland aspect. Uh, those first two three rounds, I was like, look, this is still a pick 'em fight. I personally loved the whole interaction with Habib. I thought that uh, it made for fun television. I think at the end of the day, it came down to Brunson's uh, experience, his physicality, the fact that at the end of the day, he was not only able to overpower Kevin Holland to take him down, but to keep him there. Kevin was very dangerous throughout the fight. We saw that in the second round. I think Brunson was very aware of that even in the fifth round. But at the end of the day, he was just executing that game plan, putting it all together. And just to say bluntly, he really just kind of figuratively stifled and suffocated a big mouth in Kevin Holland for the win. What were your thoughts? Yeah, Derek Brunson was unflappable, man. I mean, Kevin Holland tried with all his might to use words to distract Brunson from the task at hand, and Brunson could not be um, distracted, deterred, nothing. I mean, there was literally nothing. And he was, you know, he started, He, I, I don't know, he might have started longer ago than I was aware of, but I'm, I'm just thinking back to the, the face-off, and he, Kevin Holland saying weird things about girlfriend, and I don't know what, it didn't even make sense. Derek Brunson has zero reaction to it. And Kevin Holland just won't stop talking to the point of, I think it distracted him. I think it affected his own performance. And he's smiling as he walks to the corner. He's not stand, He's not sitting. He's talking to Khabib, as you said. Derek Brunson covers his mouth, as lots of people do when they're in that dominant top position. Kevin Holland says, hey, why are you covering my mouth? You don't want to hear me talk? And it's like, maybe that is just straight up how he performs best by talking. But I really kind of doubt it. Um, it was very interesting to see Derek Brunson never, never get shaken by it. He got caught by a couple of good shots, okay, but the, the talking never put him off his path. And I think he was annoyed by it. I think he had ultimately no respect or lost respect for his opponent in the end. You saw Kevin Holland trying to kind of chuckle with him, give him a high five, maybe a hug. Brunson barely acknowledged the, the touch. 
didn't really have words for him. He just wanted to get over there, get out of there, move on with his life and, 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 you know, talk about what's next. So it was pretty interesting to him, Kevin Holland, I should say to Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland was just like an annoying, you know, kid brother that, that just needed to be put in his place. And I think, I think he did it. Um, Bisping was right in saying that, you know, the showboating, the talking, it's all fun and games until it affects your performance, until it derails the hot streak that he, someone like Kevin Holland had built in 2020, you know, there's a couple of things to worry about when you do that. When you talk and you can't back it up, you know, how does that affect your own psyche? How does that affect your next performance? But what kind of impression does that leave in Dana White's mouth? in Dana White's mind, in the matchmaker's mind, are they going to want to give you another opportunity like this? How far back in the rankings are they going to match you up with next time? Because, like, yeah, it's fun to watch as a fan, but ultimately, like, he didn't even, to me, it didn't feel like he put his best foot forward. He spent more time talking than trying to figure out his opponent, than trying to really fight him. It was kind of a disappointing show from, for, from Kevin Holland for me. And for Derek Brunson, it's it's you know classic Derek Brunson doing what he has to do using his his um, best tools to get the job done, and not the most thrilling performance. But that's kind of what Derek Brunson does. He wins however he has to win, and whether you like it or not. So interesting to see how these guys get matched up for their next fights. I mean, for me, I think that it really came down to the experience of Brunson. Um, The fact is, he's not making those kinds of mistakes that he did earlier in his career. I think that, uh, if I'm being honest, the more patient nature of his last few fights, I think, reflects the work he's done with Henry Hooft. And, you know, he, he has all his tools, as he did before, and he's using them differently. I was very impressed how durable he was. Um, He was in big trouble in that second round. But yeah, I think that that's really what we're seeing. And then in terms of Kevin Holland, I mean, if he had been quiet and the same thing happens, would you, you know, what would you say about it? That kind of crosses my mind. I do want to see if this was as much about the wrestling as it was perhaps the size, because I think that a lot of people commented that against a younger, more powerful, let's be honest, just fresher in his career, Brunson compared to Jacare and some of the other guys that Holland has fought. I think that um, could the strength have been an issue? Only Kevin knows that for sure. I don't know about cutting to 170 because he's already very lean middleweight. So I really just want to see, is it a bit of, hey, he just wants to lift a little more weight and it's just maybe, you know, close up some holes in his wrestling and his grappling that may be it but um I think you just got to give full credit to Brunson he's a different kind of fighter who's still producing some good results against some tough guys and I'll say it I want to see that fight with Paulo Costa I think that one makes a lot of sense considering the situation as of this episode obviously Paulo Costa's plans have changed as have Robert Whitaker's but um yeah when they get back to that I think that's actually a great fight for Brunson and for Paolo personally. What about you? Yeah, it was a good call out um, for Brunson because big test for him to fight a, a, a bigger name. And hey, Costa, if you're Costa, you don't want to lose to Derek Brunson. That's for sure. You you know, you're trying to keep your name at the top. And um, Derek Brunson has shown that he's just 
he puts his head down and he does the work and doesn't matter what assets you have. Like he'll find a way if he doesn't get wild and crazy, like he did in that Robert Whitaker fight. And as you pointed out, he's been more patient and steady. So yeah, that could be an interesting fight. I'm, I'm definitely keen to see that, um, happen soon. Yeah. Um, Kevin Holland, what I like is that he's most likely going to come back quicker now, which I know that's his, uh, his MO. So I think that that's, uh, something to be said. I'm sure they'll figure out a guy, um, that makes sense for him. I think we just kind of got to wait and see. Maybe if Hamzad isn't right in the mix for the welterweight title picture, maybe we could, uh, maybe this June, you know, the battle of the rising stars of 2020. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Not opposed to it, I'll tell you that. Um, Real quick, before we start talking about what's next in the MMA world with the news, uh, Julia, I believe it's pronounced Julia Stoliarenko, um, the fighter who fainted twice on the scale. Um, uh, Just what was your reaction to that? Because I think a lot of people had some thoughts. Bro, that was was stunning, dude. Like, the the first time she, she... fainted I guess or fell backwards lost her balance I was like okay this is over right obviously (laughs) but they let her weigh again and then she was still stumbling and like when she fell back after making weight I would have been call 911 like the patience that they sort of showed I guess I guess they're you know this isn't their first rodeo whoever was attending to her but to me that's like this person can't even stay on their feet um they're like staring into the light let's get an ambulance in here asap now they did take her away on a gurney right ultimately but it just didn't feel like anyone was moving fast enough um i don't know what her status is now i'm sure she's okay but clearly this was the terrible terrible weight cut and um geez it was hard to see it was hard to watch like sort of business as usual as this person is fighting to stay on their feet, to stay conscious. It was bizarre and, and scary. How about how about you watching? I understand the business side of it. I understand that weight cuts are brutal. I understand that we may not see as much of them in the UFC in terms of uh, the fainting and all that, just because, um, look, just to say bluntly, very few promotions have all the amenities that the UFC fighters do, being at the apex and all the, everything they give them to do it as safely as possible and with as much supervision as possible. I'll tell you what, you go to some local shows and all that, I promise you the weigh-ins don't look anywhere near as nice and organized with as much attention as they did um, any typical UFC, not just big ones, but any of them. That being said, and I do understand the idea of like, hey, if she just was a little lightheaded and she was still okay and the fight could go on, well, she's at least on weight. What I will say is that hindsight being twenty twenty, I think that it was a little clear from the first fall that this wasn't just, oh, I'm a little, I'm really thirsty and I lost my balance. This was twice a full pretty solid collapse this Mm -hmm. is someone whose legs were just not there anymore and i do believe that 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 was a sign that this fight should not go on um 
it's tough on everybody. I noticed a couple of fighters posted pictures of just how shredded they got to be to be on weight. And Adrian Yanez, I mean, uh, if you look him up on, he might have put it on Instagram too, but at least his Twitter, the sweat. When you talk, oh, like you need to build up a sweat. No, look at his photo of just like his arm. That's weight cutting sweat. He's just absolutely drenched like he's just come out of a pool no exaggeration and you know the weight cuts are always tough so I do understand that probably more people feel a little closer to that than we ever know any given week but I think the fact is the second you kind of hit the floor like that that's the sign that's like okay this person pushed themselves a little too far let's exercise that caution Again, I understand, like I said, a lot of people are probably close to that point, but I think it was very clear from the fall, uh, you know what, let's check in on this person, The you know, whatever happened with their weight cut, it was more intense than usual, and, you know, at the end of the day, we wanted to fight another day, and that's what it comes down to. Definitely, that scary moment, and, uh, geez, I was like, give, give this woman uh, a bagel, she needs food. But I guess she's all right. Yeah, which matters most. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, especially they, they don't talk about it as much. But the women, when you're cutting, they have a much tougher time than the men. I mean, you know, you, you girls are just built differently internally than guys are. And that leads to, you know, the science is just a little more. It, it's not exactly the same as when guys cut weight. I, you notice that girls just can't do instant intense weight cuts the way the men do like you can't just back to back yeah when you're women so there's all kinds of stuff going on that affects that and you know yeah yeah that men don't have to deal with we know what we're talking about right oh more than that you know like yeah yeah, like not 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 just not just during like times of the month but just you know the way your organs are set up compared to men it you know it allows for less of that just the way that it works but anyway, uh, that's a story for some uh, physiology class in college yep. or high school. But yeah, the fact is, it's tougher for women, and I want to acknowledge that. So, um, But yeah, uh, fun night of MMA, fun night of television. I liked Habib's post-fight interview. I don't know if you saw it with Megan O'Leary. Um, if not, I know they posted it on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, that'll lead to the top story. Dana White waves the white flag. He is no longer pursuing Habib, and he's making it official. Charles Oliveira versus Michael Chandler will be for the vacant title on May 15th. That'll be UFC 262. Um, To recap real quick, Oliveira, eight-fight win streak. He's coming off back-to-back wins. Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson. Michael Chandler, Mr. Bellator, came into the UFC First round knockout of Dan Hooker in January. And now they're going to be taking this fight to Houston, Texas. The Toyota Center. It does have a 19,000 people capacity. Do I think they'll actually hit around 19? No, just because I don't think there'll be floor seats, so to speak. But the fact is, they're bringing it to the packed house. It'll be the second one. We'll talk about the next one in a minute, but... When it came down to what's the top story, I felt like this one had more repercussions because it came more from left field and it affects a lot more people than we expected. So I want to start with the first question. What are your thoughts on this title fight 
as opposed to putting the belt on Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor three. Interesting. I I mean I think more about Conor McGregor Poirier two, right? Like, well, why didn't they just do it then? And I know Dana White was waiting for Khabib, but you almost kind of wonder if maybe Khabib was like, oh yeah, let's keep talking, and and meanwhile I'll hold on to that belt because he didn't. Maybe he he felt like uh, McGregor and Poirier were undeserving. Um, and who knows, maybe one day we'll find out that was a stipulation of his retirement, that uh, he'll retire, but those two guys that he already beat shouldn't get a chance to fight for the belt. Who knows? My mind is, is wandering and thinking about all these crazy things. Um, but I think it's actually fine because, you know, hey, let's look at it. Khabib did beat these two guys. Now, they had a great, they had a fine fight, Poirier and McGregor, but it wasn't, it was kind of one-sided. You know, sort of. Uh, Poirier just pretty much handled business from beginning to end. There was maybe some moments here and there, but mostly it was all Poirier. So do we need to see that right away? No. The main reason to see it right away is because Conor McGregor is still the biggest name, and and that's always fun when he fights. But it doesn't feel like McGregor should get a shot at the belt after having lost the fight just because there's an exciting rematch. Um available for them to have this shouldn't be for a belt and so give two new guys a chance or two guys a chance one who's new former champion at bellator amazingly impressive debut Oliveira been there making doing the work beating the big names so it seems fair to do it this way um you know with Oliveira having been in the UFC for as long as he has Chandler is still the bigger name and I guess he'll be the a-side I don't know but I got the impression uh, that uh, Oliveira was A-side. Okay. I mean, that's that's fair, right? That's the right thing to do because he's the guy who's been in the UFC longer. Um, so I'm just – I'm what I'm trying to get to is at, at this point, like how many eyeballs does this belt – does this title belt bring in? I don't know. Chandler made a, bring, a great impression on a Conor McGregor card, so people will probably want to see how he does. Um, but mostly you're probably just looking still at – your regular old MMA UFC fans tuning in for this one, but but it's a good fight. It's a good matchup. Uh, yeah, I, I think that um. So when I looked at a big picture, I thought about this, and I'm like, well, for Dustin Poirier, come on, this is a travesty. This is a crime. This like this dude, he has earned it. It should have been his in January, right? Mm-hmm. I took a step back and I thought about a big picture. Dustin Poirier, I'll just say bluntly, I think everyone in the know heavily, heavily favors Dustin to beat Connor again. Because you're counting on essentially Connor becoming a brand new fighter within the X amount of months that he's, uh, you know, between when January and whenever the fight happens. I think a lot of us are expecting 4th of July, International Fight Week kind of stuff. Okay. So, for one, you're counting on Connor since getting knocked out and he was officially slept. I think we all saw the clip now. So, he took whatever time he needed to recover, went back to the gym, and we're expecting a brand new fighter this quick. Against a Dustin Poirier who's at the top of his game right now. So, um, safe to say. Okay. So, if it was about the fact that they wanted to put a title up or you know get these guys back out there faster i'm sure they offered dustin one of the guys for the belt 
I have to believe that was possible. Or they tried to make it, hey, if you guys want it, if you guys are committed to the rematch, you got to do it in May. We got to schedule the run. For Dustin Poirier, you beat Conor McGregor, it's another big payday. You are very expected to defeat Conor McGregor a second time. And you are still most likely going to get the title fight at the end of the year. So, as much as I feel like this should be Dustin Poirier's fight in some way, I think that this is Dustin Poirier betting, you know, betting a big check on himself to get the job done. Because if you just go to the title fight, that, you know, you only get one payday. You beat Conor and then you win the title. That's two paydays instead of one. And there's no way to have that cake and eat it too unless you take the risk. So I think that Dustin Poirier not getting the title shot, you know what, big picture, I think he'll be all right. I'm not as worried about it as I was before. I think the only person who really got screwed out of this deal was Justin Gaethje. And we could talk about that if you'd like, but... All things considered, I think if Dustin Poirier's good getting the payday and, you know, betting on himself to win it and fight for the title later, I think the only thing is Michael Chandler gets the biggest opportunity. Um, I mean, I think not since Alistair Overeem. Yeah, even Overeem. He didn't get to fight for the title in his second fight. I think the only one I can remember is Jake Shields. So this is a huge opportunity to Michael Ch- for Michael Chandler just to flip everything upside down. Yeah, it really is, and it's like the Bellator kid coming in, knocking out one of your top guys, next fight wins the belt. I mean, that would be something, right? But the more I think about it, it makes me think, it makes me wonder if my initial, you know, conspiracy theory of Khabib maybe putting a little pressure, whispering in Dana's ear saying, hey, look, don't give the belt, don't give the title shot to all the guys I beat, Justin now, Uh, Dustin, Justin, and Connor." Let the new guys try, and uh, you know, just just because it, it doesn't make sense. I already beat them. Like, what does that say, right? I, I don't know, but it's something. Something smells fishy to me. The more I think about it, about you know, the UFC not picking a, a guaranteed, you know, the highlight, right? Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier. Like your 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 speculation that Dustin was thinking, hey, I'll make more money fighting Connor and then get even more money when I fight for the belt and then presumably win the belt, that, that, that makes sense too. You know, there's plenty of, of, of paths to take here wondering why these decisions were made. But um, I'll say this, it's definitely not straightforward. There's there's some uh, extra, extra outside influences, I think, um, leading to these to this current title matchup for the 155 belt. I just don't see a scenario where they didn't offer Dustin May. Like, yeah, and they said, yeah. Dustin, if we, you want Connor, we'll offer it to Connor. But if he's not ready, we need to know, are you in for May or are you in for Connor? Because those are just different things at the end of the day. Right. So uh, he'll talk about it. And I'm sure Connor and Chandler and Charles, they'll be like, you know, were you guys offered Poirier at any time? They're probably going to say, yeah, but Poirier wanted Connor. And you know what? That's everyone's prerogative, right? I think at the end of the day, you have a very solid fight. Um, You got two guys coming off of wins. Justin would have still been coming off a loss. Um, I think it's good. Uh, In terms of the fight, it's a fun fight. It's a fun stylistic matchup. They're both very well-rounded, very dangerous, very... 
like I said, very high stakes. I think it's a big deal for both of them. If you're Charles, I mean, this is kind of fulfilling all the promise that you showed when you were like the youngest guy in the roster. I mean, remember, he's been around a long time. Yeah. And then if you're Michael Chandler, I mean, this is like the triumph, right? This is everything you left Bellator for was to, you know, he didn't, he wasn't here for a long time, but he had a good time. So no matter what happens, he, he he's done it. So I think this is huge. And then it gets a lot of our players moving at lightweight. So there we go. Real quick. Islam Mahachev. Versus Gaethje? Oh, boy. I mean, that's exciting. I ain't going to argue with that. Why not, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll say this. I, I like it better than the RDA fight for Islam right now. For sure. You know? For sure. So, just uh, just thinking out loud. I want to throw that out there. Uh, Natalie, all this, and it is somehow... I I swear I was very conflicted which one is going to be the top news story. Because this next one, oh boy, was I I was conflicted. Like blonde versus brunette, who do I like better conflicted? You get what I mean? <laughs> no, um the, Ginger so, Marianne, I don't know. Do you, get, do you even know Gilligan's Island? Is that a reference you get? <laughs> no, I'm too young for that. Wow. Okay, moving on. Uh, have you ever had a Snapchat? No. That's how that's how young I am, <laughs> and that's the nice way of me saying it. Not just kidding. Uh, just teasing. You know, I love you, Natalie. Um, Dana White canceling the apocalypse with UFC 261. It's like that scene out of Pacific Rim with Idris Elba. April 24th, Jacksonville, Florida. The per him, the fans are back in force. For this one, it has the original two title fights. It's going to be uh, Shevchenko versus Andrade, Weili Zhang, Rose Namajunas. And we'll talk about it in a second. He announced Kamaru Usman versus Jorge Masvidal 2 will be in April. They're not going to do Ultimate Fighter. I guess they'll figure something like that out. We'll talk about that too. Um, Natalie, I guess first off, is is this it? Are we officially saying this is the end of the COVID era in April? What are your thoughts? It's the end of the COVID era in Florida. And God bless Florida. I need to put it on a t-shirt because they've been they've been coming through for us this entire COVID uh, era. Um, but yeah, I think, well, look, Disneyland's opening on the 30th of April at like 10% capacity. The movie theaters, I think, are open now or soon to be. And They are? I drove yes. by my local one and those cars were in that parking lot. It's That's back. That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. First uh, time, I, I, not going to lie, first time in a year. They literally have had that old, like the big parking lot closed 12 months. It was honestly a very pleasant sight. I want to yeah, say that. Yeah, man. It's beautiful. I went to the park with my boy yesterday and this is the first time I saw like a park full of people with people at tables having birthday parties and eating fried chicken and it was a sight for sore eyes indeed. So, yes, the apocalypse is very nearly over and the UFC once again is uh, at top of the mountain waving the waving the UFC flag because they're doing something that, you know, uh, no other sports has done quite yet. I don't think anyone's filled the whatever venue they've been in yet, has they? The Super Bowl was like what, half? I think. Yeah, limited. Yep. Yeah. 
So, you know, God, God bless, God bless for everybody. God bless the UFC too, for just going out there and doing it. They found a great partner in Florida, you know, whatever your feelings are otherwise, um, about the way Florida handled the pandemic, but they've also made it possible for things like this to happen. Big signals to the, to the American people, to society to say, Hey guys, we're, uh, we're moving on here. We're getting over the hump. So very excited. I hope, I hope it's, um, you know, every precaution that can be taken and still needs to be taken is, I don't know if they're going to be required to wear masks, but probably let's see how long they'll stay on. You know, (laughs) if you were in that crowd, how long do you think your mask would stay on? Um, mine would probably be off after the second beer. So, uh, <laughs> fair, um, very fair, very fair. Yeah. I, it, it gets you excited, right? I get it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so how to First off, it's exciting. It's beautiful. I love it. Let me make that very clear. Um, I do want to acknowledge that ideas like, well, you know what? Like Obviously, for example, we lost a title fight for this coming Saturday. So is it gone permanently? You know, I'm aware, not to turn it into one of those shows, but um, I'm aware we're making a lot of changes and there's a lot going on with the vaccine. And, you know, people a lot have their own personal thoughts on it. And I respect that. I certainly, uh, there's a lot to listen to. I think looking at it, even in the most optimistic light, is it's still going to come up for some people. That's just, uh, look, you know, there's a lot of things they don't have cures for yet, right? And COVID is now added to the list. Um, You know, you still get the cold every year. You still have the flu and all the allergies and all that. There's, you know, it's probably going to still come up. But I do like the idea that, look, you know, if you're in, we're in. And we'll just do it. And I think, look, uh, I'll say this. Do I think they're going to do it as best as anyone possibly can? Yes, absolutely. Do I think there is a little bit of a you're attending at your own risk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that that's fair. I'll say For that. Sure. But I think at the end of the day, this is something that's possible. This is what the people want. And they're going to push and try to do it. Someone's got to be first. And I think that whether it's now or later it's still going to have the same kind of, um, what is it, trepidation and a little bit of that concern. But, you know, I'll say this, you know, like, is that there? Yes, but I also think that that's going to be there anyway. So if they're going to try it and they feel they could do it, having experienced the UFC bubble, I feel very assured that they're going to do everything they can to run a safe event. So you know what? I'm in for it. I'm all good. I support it. I think as long as I do ask this, I know we're all excited. A little bit of concern for your neighbor, you know, not just literal, but when you're around, I think goes a long way, right? So I would just hope for that as we move forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, I can imagine, you know, it was mostly a joke saying two beers in, I'd have a mask off. Because I can really imagine sitting there and like kind of being a little bit on edge the whole time and like, Every time my neighbor took off their mask to take a drink of something or to eat something, I'd be like, oh, can you put your mask back on? <laughs> you know, so um, tense. it'll probably be a little bit of a tension-filled setting for a while until everyone loosens up. But uh, I am going to be trying to do a mask count to see how long it takes before everyone's like, eh, screw it. 
Oh, that won't last long, I'll tell you that. Yeah. But, um, no, uh, look, I mean, I'm all in for it. Like we said, they're doing uh, Florida, they're doing Vegas, uh, not Vegas, Texas. Um, real quick question before we talk about the fights itself. Um, so with this, I, I guess I found it an interesting question. Will they still try to do Apex fights now that they have fans back in other places? My first answer was yes, but then I thought, well, why not? Like, does it, yeah, not every event has to be a huge pay-per-view, but why not try to have fans in attendance, like, you know, the one month in Abu Dhabi, the one month in Florida, the one month in Texas? If all these other states are open and some select ones are not, well, isn't the whole point to get fans back? And I want your thoughts on that. Do you think we'll still see closed off Apex events the second we've had a full house again? I think so. And the reason is because of cost. Now, I know they make a lot of money with fans, right? That's That's been part of the 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 concern with 2020 is not making that that fan, that that ticket not making the uh, what do they call it the gate yeah but um here's what i'm also thinking is like they have the apex thing nailed down right they, they it's like running like clockwork and jacksonville they've been there before now it's going to be with fans i don't know if they're going to be doing those rapid tests on every fan that that comes through i don't know what the protocol is going to be besides wearing a mask and trying uh, to i'm oh, sorry go ahead I was going to say, to my knowledge, I think that there's a um, test and quarantine. So you don't have like a same day test, but you have to like, they have like a select hotel. And I think that that's a kind of deal. Or they could just be like proof of a positive test or negative test. Sorry. I think that's how they ran it in, in Fight Island. I don't know if they're, well, you know what? Good point. In Florida, they may just be like, well. You're telling us you're good. Come um, come on in. Come on in. <laughs> my my apologies. You know, you're right. I didn't think of that. It will be different than Fight Island. Sorry. No, no, no. You're good, man. But but that's what I'm thinking is like, okay, they're going to have to see how it goes with this big crowd, full crowd, and the fans. I don't know if they're going to be testing them, if that's even possible to test that many people as they're trying to enter an arena. Um, in which case, if I'm the UFC, I'd go slow. So... Try it out here. See how it goes. You know what to do at the Apex. so You can still have shows running, even if it's every other week or every three weeks. And then the pay-per-view can be back at Florida or the pay-per-view can be back at Abu Dhabi, like you were saying. Um, and they're going to have already tried out Texas at, before that, right? Um, oh, yeah. no, after. Texas is after. Texas is May. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I think they're going to go, like, one state or one arena at a time over time. I don't think it makes sense to just be like, oh, April 24th. Okay, next week, let's go to wherever. This is still delicate, even though they're making a big first step. I think it's still delicate. And I, if I'm them, I try Jacksonville back to the Apex. Another round at the Apex, try Houston. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm expecting to see. So it did cross my mind that Compared to Abu Dhabi, which did the week of events, culminating with Connor in them, I think that when you talk about Jacksonville or Houston, you can get a crowd to fill up a big pay-per-view. Yes. Can you get the crowd you want to fill up the fight night the next week? 
So, for example, can you get the crowd to fill up for, hypothetically, Whitaker Gastelum? And the undercard that they have set up for them. Nothing against it, but it's not as stacked as that pay-per-view, right? Right. So, when you talk about the dollars, the risk involved um, for a lot of people, uh, just... Can you do that in a city like Jacksonville consistently? One of the things that's nice about the Vegas, the big cities, right? The LA, New York, is that, okay, for one, there's already a a lot of money in those cities. A lot of people, relatively speaking, to other cities in America and the world. And then two, tourism. People come to, you know... If it's not just, oh, I'm going into town, you know, like coming into town for the UFC, but hey, I'm in New York, first time in New York, maybe I really wanted to see my favorite fighter, but I get to, you know, those big cities have a tourism appeal that you could get visitors who are not local to even the state always to come in to visit. That's not necessarily, you know, that's not necessarily the case in Jacksonville. Uh, for example, I checked this. It's about a five-hour drive from Miami. So it's like, well, you're going to do that. Like, It's one thing if it were in Miami. I think Jacksonville, can you get the same people who would travel consistently to come to a fight night? I don't know about that. So yeah. when in normal times, hey, the UFC comes to your town. Well, you know, UFC only comes to town once a year. Otherwise, you got to pay a couple hundred, you know, close to a thousand plus maybe for flights, hotel, your actual ticket to the event if you're going to a Vegas or whatever. That So uh, I think that holding consistent events with fans, I don't know if we're there yet. Can they fill a big arena for a big pay-per-view? Yeah. But I don't know if you could... The logistics are there to do it the way you want to successfully week in, week out yet. I think that that's going to be very important to observe and wait and see, you know? Yeah. And also, like, you know, you're taking a chance to get of getting COVID. And so you'd probably rather do it for a pay-per-view than for a fight night. I mean, I thought about that statement and I'm like, you're not wrong, <laughs> but that's a very scary. That's a scary mentality. <laughs> But that's what you're doing, man. You're like, okay. I'm, no, you're you're I'm, completely right. And but I thought about it's like, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> anyway, but um. Leave it to old Z. I'll hey, I, I'm ready. Uh, look, I, I remember you've seen it. You've been there. I know how exciting it is to watch it with a full arena, full fans. I've been there. Um, I love it. I love the memories I have from it. I love just being there. I love enjoying something I love to get off the grind and the stressors of life i completely get the desire to want to fill the house but man is it full house already okay let's do it you know (laughs) i'm a little nervous but i'm in for it right so there we are uh real quick uh the rematch masvidal uzman 2 uh a lot faster than expected a little bit of an abbreviated fight camp I do like the angle. Remember, Kamaru came out and said about Jorge that he's the king of Miami now. I like it being in Florida for that reason. I think that um, I, I think that this is going to be a big test. I think for one, how much has Jorge Masvidal grown? And two, just how much has Usman grown and learned from that fight? I think that there's a lot of aspects. I'll say it now. For coming in on a week's notice and not having the fight, 
I think Masvidal showed just how dangerous he is compared to Usman on the feet. I think you saw that. Watch that fight back. Masvidal controlled the striking exchanges. It was only when Usman closed the distance that, it, you know, he kind of took control of the fight. But in that you know, center of the octagon, it was not Usman's best fight. And that's a Masvidal who had already kind of given up on the idea of fighting Usman. Remember that? Yeah. It was signed, sealed, delivered. That's Burns' fight. Now, abbreviated camp. Once again, has Jorge grown? Has Usman grown? We're going to find out, but I will say there are a lot more intangibles than first meets the eye. Yeah, you know, my biggest... Of course, the first reaction is, oh, yeah, let's go, excitement. But then I'm like, damn, Masvidal's been off for a long time. He's he's not, you know, he's one of the older fighters, despite his, you know, his late surge. Um you know, you might think, oh, he's like a new guy, but you know, he's been around. He's 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 a veteran who just came into prominence later in his career and is the best he's ever been. But he's also getting older, and and that's not something to ignore. And hasn't fought for like a year, almost a year. And that fight was short notice, and he had to do a rapid weight cut and all that stuff and fly halfway around the world. So, you know. I think about someone like Max Holloway, who was basically training by himself, didn't spar a bit, and came out and gave one of his most brilliant performances ever. And then you have Conor McGregor, who um, had plenty of time, plenty of money, plenty of people to, to train with, and didn't do so well against someone like Dustin Poirier. So where does Masvidal fall in there? Does he have that... You know, my guess is yes, he's scrappy. He's he's street he's street Jesus, right? And so he's not gonna miss a beat, but I do wonder how much the inactivity will play a role in this fight. Um and regardless, I'm really excited to see these guys come together with um well, you know, it is a short turnaround, I guess, for Usman, but you know, he's he's the champ and he's he's gonna be ready to go and fresh. And Uzm and uh, Masvidal will have plenty of time to get his camp going, so it's going to be exciting to see these guys, presumably at their best, um, facing off in a proper championship fight. Who's going to coach the Ultimate Fighter now? <laughs> um, when the heck is that supposed to film? I don't remember. I think they really want summer. Okay. You know what? I'm gonna hit you with one. Okay. I think they're going to try to get Aljo Yan in June. Aljo wins. You know, even if Pewter wins versus Henry Cejudo. Oh, wow. So you know, think Cejudo's uh, going to be one of the tough coaches? Yep. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Have you or, heard something? That sounds like a, an uh, inside. <laughs> I, what, do I look like Brad Okamoto to you? <laughs> Come on. I just feel like that's what the angle is with the whole... Uh, when you see him out there, he was at the apex. He was clearly trying to make something happen with the winner of Jan and Aljo. So, <sighs> that's what I think. I think okay. that they want that. Or, I mean, okay, if it's not them, Poirier Chandler, if they go that way. Uh, respect Oliveira, but I think that the language barrier... I, I think the point is they want coaches that will also make for fun television. Yeah, which is why I think Henry Cejudo is, you know, 
I mean, people will love to hate him, and that's that makes dollars too. He certainly will make for great TV. But if Jan wins, I don't know how great is his English. He's kind of like Robbie Lawler. Trash talk just don't work. <laughs> He'll just stare. <laughs> who else eyes. is who else is like that now? There was another. Yeah, I think we were talking about Peter. It's like it just doesn't work. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I think that they'll do something like that. Poirier Chandler. Um, I, I think they'd like Aljo versus Cejudo. Um, yeah, why not? Or Whitaker is he? No, I don't think Whitaker wants to be away from home that long. No, no. Um. I don't know, but yeah, those are my first two ones. Or, um, uh, you know what? Uh, maybe TJ Dillashaw coach again. Oof. I don't know. Uh, Corey Sanhagen. Uh, uh, those are the good ones, in my opinion. Uh, Stipe Jones. Stipe Ngannou. Sorry, uh, Jones Ngannou. <laughs> that would be interesting, except like Ngannou's not going to... like. He's funny. He has a sense of humor, but I don't think he'd be reality oh. TV funny. Yeah, and probably not like um, doing much trash talking. Although he's clever, um, and Jones, you know, like it depends which Jones we get—the one who's willing to be his true self, or the one who's going to pretend that he's like self-righteous and above it all, and just oh, you know, I'm I'm not here for that. You know that one, which isn't very interesting for TV. So I don't know. Um we'll find out that i'm sure dana's gonna talk to everybody next week i'm sure yeah. we'll figure it out um in the middleweight division paulo costa uh suffering from a really bad case of the flu late in camp so whitaker will now be fighting kelvin gastelum on april 17th um you guys may remember kelvin during his post-fight interview in february said if anything excuse me i got the hiccups if anything were to happen i would like that fight and so here we are. Um, I, it looked like there may have been talk possibly reschedule it, but I like the fact that they're pushing for it. I think it's a great move for Whitaker in particular, just to get himself back out there and get the win, put that pressure on Gastelum to have to get ready for him on short notice. So I really like it for that way. Uh, bad blood. I'll say bad blood loosely. They were getting ready for each other for a long time. Coach the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, Kelvin, had he beaten Adesanya, would have fought Whitaker still. So this is going back a few years that we're finally going to get the fight. What are your thoughts? It's It was surprising. And then I, I, I remembered, you know, why, when they were supposed to meet originally. You know, that was Gastelum's belt to have. It, it was... Um, he was ready to go. It was like the morning of or the day before. I can't remember how the close morning it was. of. Yeah. And, you know, he started walking around with Henry's belt and saying, that, you know, if this was wrestling, that would be an automatic uh, forfeit and I'd be the winner. And, you know, I think that's fair. I think those rules should be in place because you do all that work and you get there and then, oh, sorry, you have to fight somebody else for the belt, the, the interim belt. And then if you win that, then you can fight this guy again. It's just like, oh, my goodness. I feel like Gastelum never, I've said this before, never really recovered from getting so close to winning the belt, then having that war with Adesanya and losing. And it's just like, oh boy, like all that work and you're back at the bottom. And then having his skid and finally getting that win um, in February. So this is a chance for redemption, a shot at redemption for Gastelum. I think Bad Blood probably in his on his side is, is fair. 
you know, not personal to, to Whitaker, but like just to the situation. So I'm actually pretty, pretty pumped for this one because, you know, if Gastelum loses, that's a big blow to the psyche, to the career. Whitaker, not so bad because he actually has been champion. And so he'll always just get more credit and more opportunities. Gastelum, this is a big fight. This is very important. And, um, I hope that for his own sake, he performs, you know, to the very best of his abilities because this, this is, this is probably the most um, significant fight of his career. I think, even though there's not a belt on the line. No, I'd agree. So, and I think that when you talk about Whitaker, um, look, he's kind of got it right there, the title shot for him to win. I think that, um, he wins, even if Darren Till wins, for example, uh, against Vittori, you're still talking about a scenario where you feel like it should be Rob. And I, so I think that he's aware of that. And, you know, Adesanya coming off a loss, you feel like he shouldn't be able to pick his shots as much as he seems to be. But, you know, that's why the negotiations are what they are. So I think that that's big for Rob. And obviously Gastelum, I mean... You go from what you were, I think, zero and you know, zero and three for a minute there. Uh, it wasn't zero and four. I believe it was three. And now you come back and you take out the de facto number one contender. Hey, now middleweight just keeps getting more and more convoluted. So I think that that just makes for some interesting stuff. And then remember, Till beat Gastelum, so. Oh my gosh, it's just confusing, but it's quite a lot. <laughs> quite a lot, indeed. Yeah, but um, it's a good fight. That happens the same night as Askren, Jake Paul. So oh. I'm interested to see how the head-to-head broadcast does. Um, let's talk Bantamweights really quick. TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sanhagen. Like the fight. I think it makes sense now that the title fight with Aljo and Jan had to be... They have to do a rematch. I think they had one of them won. You could make a case that something else would happen, but I think that this was always the fight that seemed to be circulating. And then Cody Garbrandt versus Rob Font on May 22nd. So remember, we talked a lot. Will Cody stay at 125 to fight the flyweight champion? Instead, he gets a big bantamweight fight. Remember, Rob is coming off that knockout of Marlon Moraes. Both of these are five-round main events. Um... I don't have much to say about the TJ Corey fight. What about you? I'm excited about that one. I'll, I'll quickly just say big test for TJ Dillashaw, really long layoff with all the controversy um, and a lot to prove. He has to, I mean, he talk about a villain. If there's, if there's one, only one villain in the UFC, you know, it's TJ Dillashaw because of, of why he was suspended, how he lied to everyone and just bald face lying, uh, which is what you do, I guess, if you're cheating. Um, and Corey Sanhagen is so, so running hot right now. Um, impressive wins of late. And it's very significant. T. Shaw is going to be, you know, ring rust, probably. Um, but also determined to redeem himself. And that's going to be hard to achieve, I think, even with a win unless it's an impressive win. So if we have like a five round war, well, okay. But if he like finishes Corey Sanhagen, that'll definitely get the people talking about him in a positive way. But uh, it's really, it's really more of like a, a, a shot at court for Corey Han- Sanhagen to get um, 
the title shot after the the rematch between Jan and um, Sterling. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that all the pieces are lined up for the winner of that one. Um, I said, I mean, the TJ Dillashaw thing, he gets the win. His notoriety alone in a title fight is going to make it very interesting to watch. Then for Corey Sanhagen, you're talking about a guy who's put in the work to get there. So once again, the second the title fight had to be rebooked, I, I like the fight coming together. I think you could have made a case one of them just gets a title shot straight up. But all things considered, I think we get a great fight out of it. So I'm not complaining. Are you surprised that Cody decided to stay at 135? Because I feel like he would have taken that. I'll, I'll say it. I really expected him to try to get that immediate title shot at flyweight. I'm not surprised because of, at least, you know, I always reference this and I don't know um, how severe he is still in the long haul of COVID. Probably not since he's already booked a fight. But I'm not surprised because I feel like you don't want to push your body too much coming off of something like dealing with, um, you know, lingering COVID symptoms. So I think he's just going to regroup at 135 and then see how it goes before having those conversations about 125, see how his body feels. No, I agree. And I think that um, with everything going on at 135, um, I think you can make a case for if Cody wins, maybe he tries the flyweight thing again and does a title eliminator with Askar Askarov and you know by that time you should be right in line for the winner of Figueredo Moreno after June I think that that could be a possibility just depending on how this all plays out I think that there's a lot of options there for him um, or if he decides he likes prefers Bantamweight and he feels like the title picture will get moved along, along pretty well it's right there also. Um, Natalie, I'm watching the fights last night and freaking Brendan Fitzgerald with his very sympathetic voice lets <laughs> us know that due to COVID protocols, Volkanovski versus Brian Ortega is canceled. What were your thoughts when you saw that pop up or saw the tweet? I don't know how you got the I news. Was, I was actually in the kitchen making, I don't know, dinner i think for my boy and my husband said the fight's canceled ortega fight and i ran to the tv and it's like oh lord so major disappointment um because as exciting as excited as i am for stipe and ganu the fight i really wanted to see was volkanovsky ortega um you know ortega had that great performance against korean zombie and I just really wanted to see what he would do against Volkanovski, someone who beat the guy that he couldn't beat. And you know, we're talking about Max Holloway. So definitely disappointed. Um, the language of, that the UFC is using, though, like COVID protocols is very weird to me. It doesn't, like grammatically, I don't understand it. Now it's like just nitpicking, but I don't know why they can't just say he tested positive for COVID and he can't fight. But they keep refer referring to it as for COVID protocols and... Um, I Whatever. Think, so, for example, if there's a false positive, I think, um, when you say, oh, due to COVID, you automatically resume, uh, assume it was one of them. It could be a cornerman, and Volkanovsky was negative, but his head coach was positive, and, you know, it's like, could he still end up not having it? Yeah, but, so I think that that's why they say it, and I think they just try not to just 
put that scarlet letter on guys it's like oh he's got covid that makes Avoid sense. Him. Okay. I think that's the only reason why, uh, but I think people jump to that conclusion anyway, which is a little... Uh, it's a no-win situation. Anytime you say the C word, the other <laughs> C word now, there's two, right. there's two things you don't want to catch that start with the C, right? <laughs> Maybe, I just thought of more, but that's another story. Yeah, there's more. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, did you fall to your knees? You know, what did you do? What did you, how did you react? Oh, yes. I gave like that moment, like Darth Vader in that classic scene. Uh, yeah, all that. No, um, I was just like, I was just chilling. Um, I had, uh, so uh, I watched the Jesse Strader fight and I know, then I changed. Thank you. He's, he'll be back. But um, long story short, I uh, changed the channel. Brett Okamoto tweets it and you know I'm like wait put it back on rewind and it's like ah well I just thought like this is why we can't have nice things Mm -hmm. but we've had a lot of nice things so I was just like ah just ah we rolled with tougher punches nothing beats losing Tony Habib again and never to be seen nothing beats that so yeah but we do still have a great heavyweight title fight. Um, uh, I, I'm going to go first because just my thing is quicker. So obviously the big one, Stipe Miocic comes back. He's looking to make it 2-0 and against Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou, I just really want to give credit where it's due. Uh, consecutive knockouts of Curtis Blades, Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez, Jerzinho Rosenstrike. That is infinitely more scary than even his last time going into the title fight going off the knockout of Overeem and then for Stipe you're talking about all-time great heavyweight and I think the fact that he's only been fighting DC for the last two or three years now makes it feel yeah I think that he's on a different kind of vibe right now with the fans but for myself I think the real test at the end of the day is is Francis Ngannou's cardio improved? Is his takedown defense? And very bluntly, he hasn't had to use it. He hasn't needed it because very bluntly, and he could do this on Saturday, he kind of just gets a whiff of the chin with his hands. People are going to sleep. So I acknowledge the fact that we haven't seen it. He could have closed those holes in his game, but that is by far the biggest X factor. Because if he does not catch Stipe, it now comes down to, could he win a five-round fight or a little bit less? We don't know. And I think that gives Nganu such a big advantage going into the fight because could it, could it not? You just have to train harder, hoping you will. Which is what Stipe does. And Stipe, give him credit, he's been one of the most consistent fighters of the last few years at heavyweight. Um... The second fight with uh, Cormier notwithstanding, uh, I mean, you remember, losing most of that fight, then puts it together, then goes on to have a great performance in the third fight. I think there's more X-Factors in favor of Nganu, but you got to give credit where it's due. Stipe Miocic, he really has all the tools he needs to get the job done, even if it's a difficult fight. So it's a very interesting matchup. What are your thoughts on this one? I'm with you. I think we're on the same page here. Francis Ngannou, the question is, what will his, how much cardio does he have? And how long will his power last the longer his cardio gets tested? So if I'm thinking Francis Ngannou manages to stay in there, 
meaning manages to, well, I should say, if Stipe manages to not get knocked out by Francis, um, and they're in rounds four and five, how much how much pop is there still going to be in Francis Ngannou's punches? How much of a threat will he still be to Stipe? I don't know, but even for all the cardio that I you see him doing on Instagram and all that, I don't suspect I don't expect him to be able to maintain that beastly monstrous power that he has to send you know Alistair Overeem's head to the moon and then right back onto his neck like you can't have both I really don't think you can and Stipe is kind of the perfect build for heavyweight because he's he's lean but he's still got he can still knock you out he can still hurt you but he's lean enough to be agile to stay out of the way to punch and he can wrestle so um it's still, I think, going to be Stipe's. Uh, it's going to be in Stipe's advantage if he can just avoid Francis landing one of those bombs. You know, I think he took a couple in the first fight, nothing serious enough. But I think if he can avoid those sh- big shots, um, he'll be able to outpoint Francis once again. I don't think that Stipe can knock Francis out. He can probably, you know, maybe hurt him and then ground and pound or maybe submit him. But I don't think he can just flat out knock Francis Ngannou unconscious. So I don't expect to see that. But I do expect to see Stipe being his elite, you know, perfect heavyweight self. I mean, he's fought all the different shapes that you can have at heavyweight. Tall, wide, short, you know, heavy hitters, uh, cardio, uh, not I wouldn't say cardio machines because he's probably the cardio machine um, in that division. But he's fought everyone and and come out on top. So even a new and improved Francis Ngannou, even an Ngannou that we don't know, um, we don't have a complete picture of this new version. I still think Stipe is the top dog. And if he beats Ngannou as I expect him to do, you know, I, I don't think there can be a conversation or, or, or I don't think you can say he isn't the best heavyweight of all time, at least in the UFC. So my prediction, if you haven't guessed, is Stipe Miocic with his footwork, with his agility, with his intelligence, um, evading, outpointing, wrestling Francis Ngannou to a unanimous decision. Yeah, I, I think that um, it's going to be a very, I'll say it's similar to Doug Brunson, slow stifling uneventful first few rounds for um stipe i think that he's just gonna do everything to play it smart stay away from the power maybe clinch him a little bit set up the takedown with the strikes all those things you really need to do i think that Nganu, i mean look like i said he gets a you know you zig instead of zag briefly and Nganu just glances your face with one punch that's probably going to be it and you shouldn't be surprised and you someone will tell you you should have saw it coming that's just the way that man fights and it's great i love it but you know let's consider it a long fight i think that stipe has the tools over the course of 25 minutes avoid the power like he needs to and um just get just connect enough i think that at the end of the day he's going to be able to connect more on francis as the fight goes on i think that francis at the end of the day his striking is really about exploding in spurts i don't think high volume or even consistent volume over the course of a 25 minute fight is his forte nor does it ever have to be i'm sure he's very dangerous within three rounds um 
as he needs to be to fight in that style. It's just as the fight goes on, will that ability to do the damage he needs to still be there? Not sure, to be honest, but we'll find out. But yeah, I'm with you there. I just think Stipe has the tools over the course of a long fight. And I think that that's what we're going to get again, personally. And there we have it. Natalie, a very monster show. We're going to go with the heavyweight champion to retain in Stipe. And I'll be honest, after this week's episode, I'm looking forward to it. Because guess what? Next week, for the first time since uh, January, no fights. No UFC. Just going to recap. It's going to be beautiful. There will be some Bellator, and we will acknowledge that. I believe it's uh, Pitbull and Emmanuel Sanchez, so we will look into that. But in terms of a stacked week of multiple fight cards, it will not. So it'll be nice and chill. Sounds groovy. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening once again. You could check me out, by the way, on Twitter and Instagram at Double G on TV. I will be in Vegas for all the UFC 260 stuff. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, Just behind the scenes and interviews and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. And we'll be back next week.